Okay. So we are now recording. Welcome everybody. Thank you for coming to the uh, second meeting. This is a bonus meeting of our group with its brand new shiny title. We are the, we are breaking blindness barriers. Thus, we are blindness barrier breakers. The cool thing about that is that I don't have to switch letters around. It's all BBB no matter what order you want to put the words in. <laughs> so, uh, it's good stuff. And I appreciate everybody who uh, gave us wonderful suggestions on our first meeting of, of, of names. I took everything you said to heart. I factored it all in. I considered the intent of where we all wanted to go. And I feel that these three little words really say a lot about what we're all about. We're, we're here to get together and help each other to break those pesky barriers that get in the way of living a normal, fully productive, independent life that we face as blind people. So today is May the 15th, 2021, and uh, we have a special guests. We have several special guests on, and I'll introduce them momentarily. So uh, welcome, everybody, to our meeting. I'm going to go over just a few quick little things here because I know that there's possibly people who weren't here for our first meeting or maybe just need to be reminded about certain things. Uh, we'll go through this real quick. We meet uh, quarterly is what I have set for a schedule. However, we uh, can also have bonus meetings like what we're having today. So uh, it's a free group. I don't charge people to attend this group. However, if any of you are moved to or able to make a little donation to help offset the expenses, having a Zoom account and things that are associated with uh, running this meeting, uh, those are always welcome. You can go to my website, which is www.techjv.com. That's T-E-C-H-J as in John, V as in Victor, dot com. At the very bottom of the page is a donate link. So if any of you can and want to, uh, you're more than welcome. However, it is by no means required. Uh, this is a service I do uh, as, as my way of helping uh, our local blind community here in Southern California, as well as Southwest Florida. We uh, are active in that area as well. So uh, it's my little way of uh, making a contribution toward making life a little better for all of us and letting you all be involved in that process as well. So uh, anybody uh, who's on my contact list, if you, for whatever reason, change your email address, your internet provider or such, uh, or for whatever reason you decide you no longer want to be on this list, I ask that you contact me directly. That's help at techjv.com, H-E-L-P at T-E-C-H-J-V dot com. Just send an email there and uh let me know if either A, you've, uh, you're changing providers and now this is the new address you want to be, uh, you to be uh, used to contact you or if you, for whatever reason, want to not be contacted for a while. That's, uh, what that's used for. So now we'll go over real quickly some meeting procedures. I think most of you are pretty familiar with this and I got a lot of good feedback from people, by the way, on these procedures. So I think, uh, we're doing a good thing by doing this because it makes the process much more pleasant to be involved in, uh, both as a listener and as a participant. As I mentioned before, everybody should keep muted unless you're actually speaking. So that is the default position. Unless you're planning to speak or needing to speak, I ask that you keep yourself muted. In the Zoom app, uh, the lower left-hand corner of the screen, there's a mute my audio button. Uh, if you double tap that, you're muted. 
If you want to unmute yourself, you just double tap that button again, and now you're unmuted. But again, only do that if you are planning to speak. If for whatever reason we hear noise from somebody, like maybe somebody forgets to mute themselves or accidentally unmutes themselves or decides, yeah, you know what, I don't want to bother with this mute thing. I'll, I'll try to be quiet. If we hear noise from you, uh, Jamie's in the background here and she's watching the screen and anybody who's uh, generating audio into the conference will be muted. And if we mute you, please, again, stick with that unless you plan to speak. Anybody who repeatedly does this, uh, I'll be talking to at some point because we'll have to look at stricter procedures. I want to keep this as a free and open kind of free-flowing forum. I don't want to have to crack down and make it webinar, make everybody raise their hand and all that stuff. I'd really rather keep it on the uh, honor system, and I think you guys are all capable of doing that. So let's keep it that way. When you do want to speak, uh, comes a time in the conversation where I will open it up to comments or questions. Please unmute yourself and then say your name. And when you hear your name, then you speak. Anybody else who did not hear the name called, like if a few people did it and I heard one but not the others, then I ask that everybody else again mute yourself while the person who I acknowledged is speaking and then wait for the next opportunity to try to get in. So uh, we try to avoid talking over others as well. It's one of the reasons we do this. So if somebody else is speaking, please do not speak on top of them. Let them speak and then preferably let me or the guest speaker acknowledge the next person and then take their feedback or question. We are here to help and support each other and not to offend or cause any consternation to each other. So I just ask that you all be polite, follow good sense manners. Uh, let's not be insulting or condescending or anything like that. Rudeness is not tolerated. This is also not a political or religious or any controversial topic discussion place. And we ask that you take that to other social media places that welcome that sort of thing. That's not welcome here. We are organization agnostic, which means that we're not here waving NFB or ACB or any other kind of B flags. We are all just here as blind people to help and support each other. So membership or involvement in those organizations is not required or part of this. And therefore, we can treat each other with respect because this is not the place to talk about those differences. Anybody who repeatedly is rude or abusive is not going to be welcome here. We'll just get rid of you and get, get you off the list. So I very seldomly have I ever had to do that in the years I've done these meetings, and, and I look forward to staying that way. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome uh, Daniel. Brian and Siobhan, uh, they are here from Touchpad Pro Assistive Technology. They're going to be talking to us about some new products that they are working on. They also would like to get feedback from us. So this is where you all really uh, come in handy to help shape these products. They're giving this company some very valuable information that they will undoubtedly take with them and incorporate into the development and ultimately distributing of their product. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and hand it off to Daniel. And Daniel, you can go ahead and uh, sort of take the meeting controls, if you will, and uh, uh, speak and that kind of thing. The default position is going to be that you hold your comments till after the presentation, unless the presenters wish to do it otherwise, in which case they will announce that they are taking uh, taking a break for that kind of input. And again, follow the rules that I stated before, state your name, wait to be acknowledged, and then speak. So. Go ahead, Daniel and crew. Okay, thank you so much. And it's such an honor. Thank you. It's really, it's it's an honor to be here. 
Oh, when Julian told me about this, I was like, yeah, definitely count, count us in. Um, you know, because, you know, the one thing I always say about these products that you're going to hear about is that, you know, they were developed by my co-designers, which are my students. Um, my, I, I am cited and, um, uh, so is my friend Brian. So I've been a special, let me just introduce myself. I've been a special ed teacher for like 25 years now. And for the last five years, I've been an art teacher for the blind and low vision over here in New York City. And it has just been an amazing experience. I was actually nervous when they first told me that I was going to do this. And I was like, what am I going to do teaching art? And I don't know if I'm going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, but they made me feel so at home and so okay with everything. Like, you know, quickly they were not blind kids and blind teenagers and, you know, quickly they were kids and teenagers and young adults who happened to be blind and they had all the needs and wants and loves to create and everything as everybody else. But, you know, as I worked there, I saw that there was things that were lacking, like when it came to assistive technology. And then the COVID hit and all my students went home and they really had nothing in their hands. And they were from the Bronx, Brooklyn, you know, Queens, some of them just don't have the money to go on Amazon and just buy different products, you know, to do Braille instruction and to do art. So that inspired another product of mine. But um, so this past year, I really buckled down, head down, working like crazy to try to get together a company called Touchpad Pro Assistive Technology. And Brian joined me uh almost a year ago, but he, he uh, joined me. So to, cause he was really the business side. I'm kind of a flaky artist and he's more of a business guy. So, <laughs> and then Siobhan, I came across Siobhan. Well, I'll let them introduce themselves. And anyway, so Brian, go ahead. No problem. Uh, thank you, Daniel. Thank you for the introduction and thank you everyone for allowing us to uh, speak with you today. So in terms of my journey, it's coincidental that Daniel and I went to high school together. And, you know, as you may do when you go to high school, you, you lose touch with people over time and then reconnect through social media, which we did through Facebook. And Daniel reached out to me last year and talking about what he wants to do with this company, what he wants, what he wants to do with the products and also educated me about the challenges that there are and also some of the statistical information regarding the challenges that the blind and low vision community have. So when I was really getting engrossed and, and really engaged with this, I was like, how can I help? How can we get this off the ground? And what can we do from a business perspective to kind of let this take off? And we started compiling a team of people who we have in our leadership committee. We also have an advisory board. And we've been presenting to investors and people in the angel space to try and get funding and to launch the company and the products and bring those to you. Um, and Siobhan, do you want to kind of give a little background about yourself and how you came aboard? Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Siobhan Basso. I am from New York also. Um, 
I'm actually an alum of the school uh, the, where uh, Daniel was the art teacher, uh, the New York Institute. Um, and uh, I saw what he was doing on social media and one of our local TV channels. And I really wanted to get involved. Um, I'm an entrepreneur by spirit. So I own a frozen yogurt, um, robotic frozen yogurt business, also partners in a travel agency. And I do real estate investing um, in, in central Florida, rentals, that sort of thing, uh, development. So I have a lot of free time on my hand. And I saw what Daniel was doing. And, you know, being someone that uses some of this technology, or I have very good friends that use this technology, I really embrace the vision of what he's doing. And I wanted to be part of it. Um, it's something I'm passionate about. My mom worked as a teacher of the blind for 20, 25 years, something like that. So, um, you know, it, it, it's something that's ingrained to me trying to, um, make the lives easier of anyone with a disability. So that's why I'm here. Thanks, Javon. Um, listen, can I get screen sharing? Uh, you, you can make me co-host or you could go to screen share and allow multiple people to share. Okay. Uh, Jamie's going to work on that in the background and she should be able to make that happen. Yeah. I'm just to have, uh, we have a slide presentation, but of course we're going to describe, you know, what's on the slides and, uh, we, you know, we use it as an outline to go along and tell us, uh, tell you about our products. And we also have, uh, some short videos with audio description. So I just need to get screen share ability. This is also, you know, good for those with some vision to make out some of this. Uh, the first slide here, we have a tiny little girl who is blind with her mom just smiling. And we're introducing Touchpad Pro Assistive Technology and what our vision of the future is. To make tactile art, braille literacy, and technology affordable and accessible worldwide. Brian, did you want to talk about this? Are you covering the problem slide? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> uh, so the a problem that you know, of course, uh, blind and low vision people face is you know access to art. Uh, when you know, I had a great time taking a group of students to the Met, and we were able to describe you know, the paintings and talk about them and say how you're, you're standing in front of history where Van Gogh uh, made this starry night or, you know, those with some vision could, you know, get close to it. But imagine being able to touch it as you go along or at least get some type of sensation of what is on the walls or what the sculptures look like. And then we came across, then I understood these other statistics, which I found just incredible. I mean, 32% graduate high school, and this is nationally. So this is 32% graduate high school and only 16% college. And that's, that's pretty disturbing, you know, um, among cited Peers, it's 50% or more graduate college. And then that, of course, also leads to the 70% unemployment rate. Now, so what this actually does for not us, us as a, a company, but also when we're articulating this to 
the investment community, as well as other people in the blind and low vision community is, well, how important is Braille? Uh, we recently did an interview with a uh, low vision writer at Forbes. And so one of the pushbacks that he had regarding a technology piece, he was like, well, why do we have to worry about Braille and its level of importance? Because there are so many tools that are available on your cell phone, screen readers, on computers, et cetera, et cetera. But we really kind of had to educate him a little bit about the data that's out there regarding the correlation of success for the blind and low vision community, having an all inclusive educational and employment opportunity that everyone can take part of. So when we're looking at the numbers that Daniel just mentioned before, of the 30% that are employed of the blind and low vision community in the country, 85% are Braille users compared to the remaining 15% that are non-Braille users. Uh, that makes it painfully obvious looking at these basic numbers of how important education and specifically Braille literacy is to inclusive employment for the blind and low vision community. And if you still don't understand how that literacy gap correlates to these disparities, the last data point should jar you even more because there's only 10% of children in the U.S. that are actually learning Braille. And in other parts of the world, the statistics are even worse. In India, only 1% of children are learning Braille. And this is affecting the statistics and the disparities of the blind and low vision community globally. So this is some of the solutions that we came up with. We call it tactile technology, technology that could be touched. And also it's visual as well, because there are the population, 95 million who are fully blind, but there's also many, many people who fall on the spectrum. And that's where people really lose their understanding of people who are on the spectrum of vision, just like there is a spectrum of autism. My son happens to be on the autistic spectrum, but, you know, I don't call him autistic because he is on a spectrum. He's on the autistic spectrum. So we want to address all those who are blind and low vision. So our tactile products have a visual component too. The Braille Doodle is our first device, and then there's the Touchpad Pro, which is really our game-changing revolutionary device. But the Braille Doodle is also very important. We could really make a lot of changes there as well. And with the advent of the Braille Doodle, users would have the ability to create touchable drawings for art. And as a teaching tool, you can learn Braille in person or remotely. Uh, you can also imagine the challenges of learning remotely, as Daniel discussed earlier, especially with the onset of COVID globally. So we have the ability to create a Braille sleeve accessory that slides over the tactile portion. And this also assists in the representation of Braille letters, shapes, artistic expression, as well as having Braille stencils for independent learning. Uh, the actual description aspect may be a little bit more uh, difficult to conceive from a visual standpoint, but when you're thinking about having the ability for the tactile pens with a magnetic stylus, it allows you to be able to create art, create shapes, and of, of course, learn Braille. 
and have the ability to have this teaching aspect remotely that we need so badly right now. And also it's an it's an upgrade over a rudimentary toy or another Braille tools that are currently available. And there's a brief simulation video that Daniel has. It does have a video description, uh, so hopefully it will give you a better idea from a visual perspective. I also want to tell you just uh, before I start the video. So right here I have the toy from, from China. You can, you can hear all the balls uh, all up and down. And what it uses, so there's like hundreds of holes that cover the surface, okay, of this device. Now, when I take a magnetic stylus, it pulls the balls, in this case, up to the surface where they could be felt. Now, I thought this was a cool, cool toy when I came across it. And I was like, wow, my my students are really going to love this. So when I brought it in to the classroom, they, they did like it, but the balls keep falling down. They just don't have enough strength to stay up to make it really useful for someone who is blind or low vision. So what we want to create is something that is going to be like this toy from China that's on Amazon, but only extremely useful for the blind and low vision. And then we came up with the idea to put on a braille sleeve that slides over it. And that way you could practice or learn braille about anywhere. So I could be instructing you over the computer. I could just aim the computer down and say, okay, well, you know, go up to the upper left-hand corner. All right, those dots have numbers. That's one, two, three, four, five, six. All right, now lift up number one. Terrific, you made an A. Wonderful. Now make it A's all across. A, A, A. So that's that's the hope. Touchpad Pro assistive technology. And then appears in a messy, colorful book. My name is Daniel Lubiner. I'm an art teacher here in New York City. I teach the blind and visually impaired. I love my job, but it was here I learned some troubling statistics. Employment rates are staggering, with about 70% unemployed. But Braille literacy is so important. Of that 30% who are employed, 90% are Braille literate. Unfortunately, only 10% of children are learning Braille. Why is that? What if they just had the right tools? Introducing the Braille Doodle. The Braille Doodle appears and a stylus comes out and begins to draw a touchable small house, a big letter H, and the word house in brown. Tiny shiny metal pegs appear from the holes to form images, letters, and brown. The side of the stylus is used to erase the picture. The stylus is drawing a dog and a large capital D. The braille cover slides over the device, and now dozens of rectangular cutouts cover the surface. Each rectangle is a braille cell. The animation stylus starts writing words in braille. A boy's hand is holding the stylus, continuing to form words in braille. Then the boy's hand feels the braille. Next, the car is drawn. The boy's hands feel the car, and he uses his fingers to push down some of the drawing to erase. Braille doodle turns, and the drawing of the car is complete. Finally, there's a prototype. A woman's hand is drawing with the stylus. The braille cover is placed on the prototype. Braille is written and felt. So really, the braille doodle has really gotten a lot of excitement out of the blind and low vision community. We we had like uh, 
We had a lot of podcasts already that have been done. And if you Google Braille Doodle, you'll see it pop up all over the place. And it even pops up in all different languages, like the, you know, Chinese and Korean and German. And so it's, it's really kind of taken off and caused a lot of excitement. But the next iteration, the next product is really our dream product. I've been working on this for five years, trying to think about how to perfect it, how to make the ultimate piece of assistive technology for the blind and low vision. And like I said before, it came all through working with my students, asking them questions, asking them what they would want, what they would need, what they use, what they lack, you know. So I really think there's a lot of importance to that front-end design, meaning to have the blind and low-vision person there right from the very start. There's so many of these products that it seems obvious that some sighted people thought about, like, what what are these guys going to want? What are they going to need? And you know, then we'll test it. After we make it, we'll test it and we'll see if it works. You know, instead of just having it there from the very beginning. So the touchpad pro, Brian, you want to talk about the touchpad pro a little bit? Uh, well, I, we really like to call it the holy braille. Uh, we think of it as the <laughs> iPad for the blind and low vision. Uh, it will have the ability to have raised colors, raised pins. You can take a selfie with the product. Uh, it's going to be a very robust, feature-rich tool uh, for education and for art appreciation. So you could imagine taking a selfie with this device, like the size of a laptop, and then having pins, 5,400 pins moving independently, and then them coming up to form your face. So you could feel your nose and your lips and your chin and your eyes and forehead, you know, just rising out of the surface in full color. So it would be very exciting. And you'd also be able to navigate the Internet like never before, because, you know, using voice over and voice to script, it's, it's good, but being able to feel those options, feel the apps that appear on an iPad is, is just going to be a game changer. Everything having Braille as options. And imagine having maps that will pop up out of the screen. So you could say, where am I right now? And how do I get here? And an actual map will pop up so you could feel the direction of where you need to go or where the next direction is. Or if you come to an intersection where there's a circle and five streets that come in, how do we get around this intersection? Well, maybe if you had a map that could pop up and show you that circle, show you where those five streets are coming in, you know, tell you about it as well. You know, all those things would be very exciting. Siobhan, do you have any comments on this before I go on? I, I do. Um, so I just wanted to say, like, you know, I think this, the Braille Doodle, it's a game changer. You know, like I said, my mom, when she saw it, her first thought was, 
oh my, you know, I had a student one time ask me, what does a dog look like? I know that the dog's fluffy and furry and all of that, but what shape is a dog? And she's like, you know, it's really difficult to describe it, right? I mean, but with this, you can actually draw the outline of the dog and they can, you know, the student or the whoever's looking at it, or they can visualize it by, by feeling the outline of it. And that's a game changer. I mean, you know, I look at this and I think of it's such a simple product, the Braille Doodle, but it brings access to STEM. You know, we hear about STEM. We hear about how it's going to be the future. And then we hear about the statistics with the low vision, uh, blind unemployment, and it's it's disheartening. And we think, gee, you know, there's this this push towards STEM. We're already at the disadvantage. Maybe we can get into STEM too, right? But then we really can't because of all the technological gaps. But and, and this helps us do that. Imagine being able to, um, you know, uh, uh, with the touchpad or the Braille Doodle. Imagine being able to just draw a simple quadratic equation to to show someone mathematically, or even something like coronavirus. You know, thinking about the molecular makeup of it. How do you describe a virus to someone? Well, now they can feel it, right? And I think this this simple product, it brings that access to everyone. You know, I think about people in, in, in underdeveloped nations where something like Braille paper is a luxury. They don't have access to it. How can you teach them Braille then? With the Braille doodle, you can. And that's why I, I'm super duper passionate about this product. Uh, and thank you very much, Yvonne. And another piece regarding the Touchpad Pro is that the plan is to have it have open source software. So that is iOS as well as Android uh, compliant. And you would just have the ability to plug into additional devices and just be able to choose the Internet, plug it into your cell phones and other devices. So we want to make this as seamless and user friendly as possible. So. Just so it does, it gets a little confusing, you know, because we keep switching back and forth between the Braille Doodle and the Touchpad Pro. Uh, you know, just so we're trying to be crystal clear here, that Braille Doodle is the plastic device, right? It will retail for around $75, between $75 and $100. So we're going to get this really inexpensive, you know, so we could not be out of reach for anyone. You know, you should be able to get $75 from someone to buy yourself a Braille Doodle. But the Touchpad Pro is a very, you know, very complicated device. You know, it's going to be, as as Brian said, the, the, the holy Braille, right? Because it's going to do Braille, and it's going to do graphics, and it's going to do three dimensions, but at first, it's going to be expensive, you know, and we're going to have it in, you know, we're hoping that institutions and things will buy it. But people also don't appreciate, I think, how expensive a lot of things are for the blind and low vision. And that, that it's, it's just sad. <laughs> But, you know, hopefully over time, this is what I'm saying is like, we might make this and it will be like approximately $15,000 at first, you know, so we could get it to libraries and universities and institutions and museums, you know, where everyone could go experience it. But over time, which 
trying to get that price down and down and down. Just like the $4,000 television you could now get at Walmart for $200. And the idea also, Daniel, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. What I was going to say from an adoption standpoint to Daniel's point is that we really, this is going to be a very expensive product initially. and We are hoping to have a high level of subsidized costs through grants, foundations, educational uh, systems, board of educations. We're looking to make it affordable for use and then have it go global and adopt it even to kiosks potentially at airports, et cetera. So there is a broad reach for what we're trying to do from a technology perspective. Uh, I know the numbers in terms of that cost sound, you know, kind of crazy right now, but to Daniel's point, this is how all revolutionary technology starts. And then we scale it for independent use. And here's a little video that we put together for the uh, touchpad pro introducing the touchpad pro feature of electronics for the blind and visually impaired it will bring a full page of braille tactile and visual graphics to millions of people touchpad pro is like an ipad with thousands of pins that raise to different heights and can assume any color first the stylus draws a blue squiggly line the touchpad pro shows how apps appear but one could feel the moon the stars and the village the eyes are erased and red sunglasses go in their place. Bright yellow smile is filled in. A braille keyboard rises from the surface and begins typing out five lines of braille. Diagram of plant cell appears. A woman's face is shown in three dimensions and in full color with pins for the nose, the eyes, the mouth, the hair, all at different heights. Twelve lines of braille appear on the surface. A close-up of the Van Gogh is shown. Last, a girl is sitting at a table touching the woman's face on the touchpad pro. The logo appears. Touchpad pro assistive technology. So it's, it's very exciting that we found that this is possible. For years, people told me this is impossible. Daniel, it's a nice dream. It's a nice picture. Those are nice drawings you have. But it's, it's just not possible. Technology is not there. It's too expensive. Or people are not going to be able to afford it. But I just kept going and going and going. It's going to cost millions to develop something like this. You know? And it's going to take like over a year and a half once we have the millions. So, but I think it's going to be so worth it. But I, you know, I am so glad that we're able to talk to you. We were just talking to an investor today, you know, and I'm going to be frank with you. It was a tough call because this investor had was capable of giving us the money to get this made. But his question is, what about that 15000 Who's going to be buying dozens of these? You know, how are we going to get that across? So... These are the types of things, types of challenges that we're going to have to deal with. But I'm telling you, and, you know, the reason why Siobhan is here, the reason why Brian is here, the reason we have a whole team of people who have joined us, including Andrew from Boston Engineering. Brian, you want to tell them about Andrew? Sure. Uh, Andrew actually sits in our leadership team. Uh, he's a consultant, but he's also a full-time uh, senior uh, engineer at Boston Engineering. 
He's had a great deal of experience in terms of robotics, uh, in tactile manipulation, tactile technology. So he and Daniel have been in communication, I believe, over a year and a half at this point regarding the two products, Daniel. Uh, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. So we know that these can actually happen and come to fruition. This isn't some, let's say, dreamlike simulation uh, as we presented. This is something that can be produced. Uh, we do have the technology and the partnership with a premier engineering company to produce it. It's just getting the buy-in of understanding just how, how robust and just how feasible this is. Uh, so one of the things in terms of you, you giving us the ability to speak with you today is to let you know what's on the horizon, but also to get a semblance of feedback for questions that you may have, because part of our challenge being sighted people is also having people who are on our board and on our team like Siobhan and other members who are either blind or low vision to get that level of feedback and how we can articulate properly uh, to best get this out to market. One last thing, and then we'll open it up to questions. As uh, I recently got together with somebody you guys might have heard of. His name is JJ. He's with, uh, oh, what is his thing? Products, affordable products. Oh, I, I forget. Anyway, we, we together, we started a clubhouse group. So if you guys ever get the clubhouse app, it's open to both, uh, both Android and Apple now. It just started last week, but on the clubhouse app, there's a growing community of blind and low vision people. And we started a group on Tuesdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So you'd have to figure out. So it's 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time where we're talking about the future of technology. And the the reason I bring that up is I want to know from you, like from what you hear heard here today or what you've heard in general, what what is the ultimate assistive technology that you would like to have? What would be included in that? What would you like? What types of features would you like? Would you like vibration, for example, like tactile vibration throughout the pins you know, and other things like that? So thank you again for your time. Um, and we'll be happy to answer any questions. Okay. Well, first of all, I want to thank you guys for coming and presenting to us. Uh, that was excellent. Uh, I myself am particularly excited about the touchpad pro because one thing I can see is, is the ability to maybe have it, uh, tactily give me the information that's found in a picture, you know, uh, things that, uh, that are significant. For example, uh, you guys are all from New York. I'm from New York originally. In fact, I'm also an alum of that same school, <laughs> uh, that, uh, you all come from, um, the New York City skyline, for example, have the ability to see, for example, the New York City skyline before September 11th, 2001, and afterward now without the towers and now with the Freedom Tower. I think it'd be neat to be able to have a way for a blind person to be able to see things like that. We have the Mars exploration going on and all the pictures that are coming down from that. How neat would it be to be able to... uh you know, get, get, uh, make that uh, available to somebody who can't see the picture on the screen. So I, I, I think there's a lot of potential with this product. I think it's, uh, it's exciting and I'm, I'm, 
I'll certainly be uh, interested in uh, keeping up with its development. So um, if anybody wants to uh, ask a question, uh, I ask that you uh, unmute yourself, say your name, and when your name is called, then you speak. And if, if several of you said your name but were not called, then please mute yourself or avoid speaking while the person who was called is speaking. So that way we can have one question and then response and then another question, then response. It, it'll go a lot smoother and be a lot more co- coherent. So at this point, is there anyone who would like to ask a question? Please state your name. Mary Lou. Okay, Mary Lou. I got you in there and go ahead. I was wondering, uh, can you connect an iPhone to this device so you can use it as a uh, GPS modem and read maps? Yes, actually, that's that's the intention is, especially at first, we want it to be able to attach to anything an iPhone, an iPad, a computer, uh, Android device, whatever you have, you know, it should be able to be the screen of that device to interpret what's on the screen and make it into 3D. So that was an excellent question. And yes, we're hoping that it will have the GPS device. But in the future, you know, we're thinking even bigger um, when I say I'm thinking bigger, I'm saying I'm thinking smaller <laughs> because I want to shrink down the device and make it self-inclusive. So the actual device will be able to have GPS. The device will be run on Apple or on Android operating system. So hopefully we'll get to that standalone device. So just uh to give my interpretation of this and correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like what you're saying is that for now, this is kind of think of it as more of a monitor, like you, the way you plug an external monitor into a computer device uh, that you can access the information that's normally seen visually, but that the future plan includes uh, basically making the computer part of the device so that that way you just carry this one device and it does it all. Exactly. That's correct. Awesome. And having also, it would be an input device. So, you know, since it could sense your fingers and you could have a keyboard, like a uh, a Braille keyboard pop up, so you could input things into the device as well. Ooh, I like that. Okay, does anybody else have any questions? State your name. Bill. Oh, go ahead, Dr. Bill. Yes, I I want to thank you, gentlemen, for showing this to us, and it's really very, very exciting. Um, you know, I was a doctor who specialized in low vision, and I saw how students would struggle and adults would struggle, and this would really be something that could help out. And my question to you, is do you have a patent on this? Is this something that you would not want us to talk to other people about for the fear that they may try to take your idea? <laughs> That's a great question. And 
I I do have patent pending status on all of it, so I do have patents on the you know all the ideas that that we stated, and but sometimes it's very difficult to know like how secret to keep everything and keep it on the hush hush and you know some people go to my website which you know if you ever want to go to my website and check out more information you know we'll we'll definitely give you that information but it's it's touchpadpro.org so touchpadpro.org can get you to the website and some people told me to take down the website you can't be giving out all that information you know but I think, you know, sometimes you have to take chances, too, to get what you want in the end. And uh, so hopefully in the end, we'll, we'll be able to get this made, you know, because who's going to fund it if nobody knows about it, right? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there, there, there has to be a way to strike a balance between putting out there what you're working on and what you're intending to accomplish while at the same time not giving away the secret sauce, if you will. Exactly, Julie. Very well so, Thanks for that, Dr. Bill. Do you have anything else? or? Uh, yes, I do. Do you currently have potential investors that are are serious about it and they do have the financial means to put up the money that you need? Actually, we do. We have, we're talking to some investors but between being you know interested and talking about it having first meetings and second meetings that's all well and good but we're really looking for that first check at this point you know and so we could get this company off the ground you know really we could start this company from behind between one and two million dollars we could get everything going and what that means is in the first year, we could get the Braille Doodle into the hands of kids in six months. And we could also get the proof of concept, which is like a very, very rough prototype of the Touchpad Pro. But once we have that proof of concept, once we have that little rough prototype, then getting the rest of the money, I don't think is going to be a problem because people are just going to be so excited about that. Yeah. And Dr. Bill, if I could actually add something else onto Daniel's commentary regarding the conversations that we are having, we get a lot of different feedback in terms of what direction we should take uh, in terms of appeasing an investor for funding. So one of the things in the business world is they want to see a return on investment in a certain period of time. So they'll have a lot of questions and ideas about how we're supposed to do it. Uh, and also the direction of the practice. So it's navigating all those to get that done. Okay, thank you. Is there going to be a time that you will be in Los Angeles in the near in the near future? Well, if if you nobody know somebody who could have this kind of money, I'll fly out there tomorrow and talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, we we are on Zoom calls constantly. Uh, with people all over the world. So the people we spoke with earlier were in the UAE and in the UK, respectively. Uh, we deal with people in uh, China, all over. We're willing to talk to anybody because Zoom is allowing us that level of flexibility to be anywhere at any time for a meeting. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very, very much. 
All right. Yeah, good stuff. And yeah, Zoom uh, Zoom has really changed the world, that's for sure. I mean, it, it, case in point here, these meetings uh, used to be held in person and we lost our meeting location and now we are dealing with COVID and uh, it's what makes it possible for us to still be able to get this group together and um, help each other out. So it's it's a wonderful thing. So Alrighty. Uh, anybody else have any questions or comments for our presenters? Please state your name. Brian. Uh, go ahead, Brian. You know, I was curious. First of all, thanks. Thanks uh, all for giving, uh, bringing this presentation to us. And uh, about one thought immediately crossed my mind when you spoke of getting this into the hands of eventually uh, uh, universities, for example, and uh, other agencies, perhaps. And uh, eventually you might have uh, rehab people uh, picking it up for folks. But what is going to be the motivation to bring the cost down? The reason I ask that is we've seen uh, one Braille device come along after another, and it goes into the hands of uh, perhaps a university and definitely into the hands of rehab people. And the people that sell the products are happy enough to take the checks from rehab to, to buy them and there's never a motivation to really bring them into the uh, reach of the regular blind consumer uh, so far it just hasn't happened and, mm-hmm. and that's a great comment Brian because that's one of the challenges of this is the adoption right so one of the things that we want to happen is to have the products adopted not just nationally but globally And we want to do it the right way. You know, we consider ourselves a socially conscious company. Uh, We do intend to give back as far as even revenue sharing to subsidize the cost of products to get these in the hands of schools. Uh, This is coming from one of the most sincere places with Daniel in his innovations, ingenuity, and the children that he used to teach being his motivation is that we're not trying to mess around and just make this where we get a check and we go bye-bye. Uh, we really want to make this something that people can get this, get it in their hands and use it. And that is a great question because there are a lot of cash grabs about products getting funded and people walking away into, you know, into the sunset. So, but I appreciate that. So uh, to follow up on Brian's question, because I, I, I think I see where he was going with this and I think he was going more in the direction of that uh, we've had uh Braille note takers and Braille displays out for quite some time. And it would seem that you would think the cost would have gone down substantially over time. And it kind of doesn't seem to be. So my thought on this always is when you see what has happened when something is made available or marketed to uh, people other than just a small niche group, so, you know, the question is, have you guys given any thought to finding a way to marketing this product to people other than the blind? Uh, preferably some way to make it appealing to the, to mainstream users. You know, case in point, our, our iPhones and Android phones and mobile devices, you know, they all have accessibility built into them. And it used to be that, you know, if you wanted a screen reader on a smartphone prior to the iPhone, it was a separate thing that you had to buy and install and maintain much like we have to do on Windows computers when we want to put JAWS or Zoom text on them. Uh, but then comes uh, Apple and, uh, and other companies since then, 
And now they've managed to put this accessibility into the device that everybody buys. So it, in effect, amortizes the cost of the accessibility across the entire product line, thus making it so that a blind person pays the same for an iPhone that a sighted person does. So any thoughts on uh, trying to go in that direction to, to make this product appealing to uh, the, a broader community other than just the blind or people with disabilities? Oh, I'm sorry. I'll speak very quickly, Siobhan. So Daniel Daniel mentioned before that his son is on the spectrum. Uh, And unfortunately, that there are more people who are diagnosed as being autistic on varying degrees of the spectrum than there are people in the blind and low vision community. A lot of the products that are made are specifically just for blind. The actual larger community is the low vision from a market and what we call a TAM standpoint. It's your, your target, a targeted addressable market in terms of how you're going to sell this to investors. So we are saying that you have all three communities that you can actually touch with the technology and then the developmental aspects for the additional software and apps that can come for those communities as well. So you are right on the mark regarding yes. People look at this in terms of just products for the blind because really there's not a money, a lot of money to be made from a greed standpoint from that community by itself. When we expand that market and we expand to the other communities that can appreciate and benefit from assistive technology, that's where you get investors really wanting to buy in. And uh, Brian, to follow up on your question regarding the price point and bringing it down, um, I guess my, my answer to that would be that you know, since we are uh, planning on going the or- open source route, you know, we, we, we will be encouraging app developers and software developers to work with us to bring, um, you know, our technology and integrate it easier into their apps, right? So to make that GPS uh, and that map a little easier um, for someone to navigate, well, what's their motivation? Or if there's only, you know, a select few people who are buying this thing at 15 grand, um, eventually we'd like to bring it out to more people. And in order for us to say, Hey, there's some value to this. Look, we can get these apps. We have to get the users, right? And the only way to get the users to entice the app developers is to bring our price down so that they have a broader market to reach to. So it's a hand in hand sort of thing. We're, you know, we're working together. And I guess that's our motivation to get mass adaptability, um, to the product. And the only way to do that is obviously to bring the price down. Yep. And Julian, what you were saying was perfectly on point too. To open these up to other populations is going to make it cheaper for everybody. So if we could open it up to the autistic population, we could simplify it, like making it not as three-dimensional, doesn't have to have the Braille technology, you know, then it would be great for them. And how about as a toy? The Light Bright was one of the most popular toys of, you know, the 20th century. People love the Light Bright. I love the Light Bright. So I, I would love to see this as a toy for everyone. You know, I know I want to play with it. Yeah. Um, and, and actually yeah. growing up, the Light Bright was one of my favorite toys as a little child at the lighthouse <laughs> it was, it was one of the ones I gravitated to because my vision condition always favored lights. So I always liked mm-hmm. things that were shiny and bright. So here's a thought also, uh, or more of a suggestion. 
is to maybe try to think even bigger outside of the entire disability community. I'm talking about the mainstream community. How cool would it be, for example, if a museum could have one of these things? And, for example, if you're going to be showing something like the Rosetta Stone, uh, one of the things you're not allowed to do in museums is touch things because of the uh, the deterioration effect that it has. I remember one time when I was still living in New York, I got to go to the Metropolitan Museum and see their Egyptian uh, collection. And I was able to talk somebody into letting me touch the sarcophagus and actually put my fingers and feel the hieroglyphs carved into it. And that was such an experience because, you know, before all I had seen is visual representation of it and just hearing about it. But it's a whole other thing to actually touch it and feel it. And I just think, wouldn't it be cool if museums could get involved in this technology so that they could make it so that now all these things that people can't normally put their hands on, now they'd be able to put their hands on it virtually by virtue of a, of a device like the Touchpad Pro. So that's what I'm thinking. If, if you think about broadening your target, the more, the broader you make that target, the, the less the cost of all these things are for the individual who has to pay for it in the end, as opposed to just limiting it to the, the disability community, which, you know, certainly broadening it to other than blind and low vision is great. But I think, again, the reason why the iPhone doesn't cost us any more as a blind person than to a sighted person is because Apple spread the cost of the accessibility across the entire product line. So everybody who buys an iPhone is paying some little part of that. And therefore, the blind user or the low vision user or the hearing impaired user doesn't have to pay a dime extra to get uh, the tools that they need to be able to have equal access to that product. So that's just my thought. If, if broadening the scope and trying to, you know, gamers, maybe there's some way to make this appealing to gamers. Gaming is really hot right now. So anything like that that makes it so that more people are potentially buying this product means that each user doesn't have to pay as much for each individual product. That's right. Robert. Very good points. Very good points. Okay. And then I hear Robert in there. Go ahead, Robert. Thank you. Um, and thank you for being here today, uh, gentlemen. Um, so my question is along the lines of finance as well, but um, in a, another scope. And that is, um, so once the device gets into the hands of people, um, at some point, because you have parts to the product, um, at some point there's going to need to be a um, maybe a cleaning or a um, upgrade or that type of thing. So I'm wondering if, one, you have thought of what the cost will be once it's in the hands of people um, for someone to get it repaired if it needs to be repaired. And then I guess two would be the other thing that seems to be a problem with other Braille devices and note takers out there now is that they get to a certain point and then it can't be upgraded anymore. So it has to be replaced. So now the end user like myself has to pay $5,000 for a new note taker. Um, so I'm wondering if you have even given any thought yet as to how updates and upgrades will take place. Um, cause it does blend into the, the cost. Um, if it's going to be an upgrade cost or if there's going to be no fee for upgrading or, or fixing. Some very good questions. Well, we do have the idea for the warranties and accessories for the products. 
So that is the one thing. The one thing we have not really gone far down the path is what the upgrades would look like. Mm-hmm. Honestly, what we're trying to do with the open source software aspect is having the understanding of where the software complexity might come into play regarding how something may age out and whether it could be something just as simple as an update like you do with your Microsoft software or your iOS mm-hmm. software. You know what I mean? So that could be something nominal from a software perspective. Uh, from a hardware perspective, maybe there's something that's smaller. We do have some ideas regarding, uh, you know, some other named products, which are derivative of the main Braille Doodle and the Touchpad Pro, not to get too deep in the woods. Mm-hmm. So there are some other levels of complexity that we have for additional product lines as well. And just to address your idea one more time, is like uh, Apple has a great way of a good person is a good company to look at for how things are done, right? So mm-hmm. if they have the Apple Cares program, you know, where you could spend two years or get two years of like warranty, like full warranty, you know, we could have the touchpad pro cares warranty, you know, where for two years or three years, we back up every single piece of that thing. You know, and that could be also another revenue stream, which would make investors happy, you know, and just so I put that out there, you know, we, you never know where this money could possibly come from, you know, to get this going, because, you know, yes, we're trying to get investors involved. We're trying to show them that this is a sustainable business that could actually make money when we go out, when we get to kids with autism or adults with autism, when we get to a toy, when we go into airports and subways, that I think it could be very sustainable and even quite profitable. But also there are people out there that would want to see this get going who might just have that money to get it going. You know, um, so if anybody knows Stevie Wonder, you know, <laughs> let us know. So <laughs> ambassador. get started already. <laughs> so it's kind of a joke, but yeah. <laughs> yes, no, I, it's understandable, but, um, you know, and, and I appreciate your thought on, on the, the warranty, um, because like I said, again, the biggest issue with, current braille displays and note takers is that um you know you get to a point you got to update them or or actually completely turn them in and get a new one to to upgrade and um you know it just as a whole blind people because of the unemployment rate do not have you know five ten whatever thousand sitting around the house and um you know so whatever you can do to find different ways of bringing the cost down. Um, you know, I know initially it's going to be expensive, but you know, the updates, the et cetera's, um, all the other bells and whistles that need to go with it will, will greatly enhance your possibilities of being able to get it out there and in the hands of people who would love to have it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. And I want to just say all your feedback and all your questions, are fantastic mm-hmm. and so helpful to us. Uh, so I really appreciate this level of engagement and your time today. This is great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. 
You know, again, to me, it also comes to the philosophy of this whole thing from where I came from when I started looking at all this. You know, frankly, a lot of assistive technology, it disgusts me. It it really is pathetic how much they overprice these things. And, you know, they think that, you know, oh, the population is not that big, so we have the right to put on, someone even called it a blind tax. Like something like you have to pay, you know, five thousand or $3,000 more for something that normally should cost about 2000 Or, you know, my, my favorite example is this, okay? A low vision student of, of mine would, you know, get a, 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 what is essentially a monitor, a large monitor and a camera, you know, so like a, a, a camera and a monitor. So they could, you know, see the blackboard zoomed up or they could aim it down and see what's in front of them. And they would pay $5,000 for that. And, and that that's just ridiculous. You know, when it's like, in in amount of hardware that costs is you know the cost is probably like forty dollars you know so that's something that I just want Touchpad Pro you know my my company to be like to battle against in the future. And it, it is a real problem, right? Like in my hands right now, I have my digital camera. It cost me one hundred and fifty dollars at you know, Best Buy and it's a screen and it's a lens, right? That's all it is and all the software and all that stuff. And it makes it into a camera. <clears throat> then I have this device, which is one of these quick look devices that they market for the low uh, vision. And all it is, again, it's a camera and a monitor or a little screen. And this is $900. So again, that it, it, the, what we see in the industry and just the exploitation of the pricing it, it, it's insane. And, um, you know, as a socially responsible company and, and, and as someone who actually faces that, right? Like I know the perils of it. I wouldn't, you know, I, I've paid the $900 for what is essentially a camera and a screen. So I've been there. I get it. I wouldn't want to do that to someone else. I wouldn't want someone to do that to me. So again, that, that's, that's why I, I, I came on board with Daniel. I really believe in what this company is doing the mission. So. Yeah, that, I mean, I'm very happy to hear that. I think that's really cool that you guys are thinking along those lines and that you're, uh, you know, open to, to that kind of feedback because I think, again, that, that is the big problem is that blind tax, as you put it. Uh, it's a barrier between people and the tools that they need. And, um, you know, again, that's why I'm a big fan of making it something that's marketed to a mainstream crowd because as soon as it's marketed to a mainstream crowd, the price instantly goes down because now everybody, a lot more people are buying it. So it means that it doesn't cost as much to produce. And, and you certainly can't justify an outrageously high price for something that uh, everybody else can get uh, for substantially less elsewhere. So it's, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, do we have any other questions or comments? Um, or uh, my, my name is Saran Ghaffari. Oh, yes. Uh, Soran, go ahead. Okay. What about laptop? Do you teach the laptop? 
So, Saran, um, if I could just uh, step in here momentarily, the the product that they're talking about effectively would plug into a laptop, just like you'd plug a a monitor into a laptop. You know, I want to let me explain for you. Okay, now, music wise, okay, what is it like if I want to DJ digitally? That's a good. That's a great idea. You know, because lots of people have been coming up with these ideas. Like someone was talking about, like a mixing board, like you would see in uh, uh, in a uh, where an equalizer, recording, right? People are very into sound, and so imagine having a whole mixing board right at your fingertips that could scroll and you know go from place to place, and the 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 reaction to the levers will be right there. Because or, right, let me explain great too. Like a DJ, like you know, just being able to switch over from place to place, or make different noises, or doing scratching, or bringing up beats or different things. Let so, me ask you. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Is it still going to be beat matching? So it's a refreshable Braille display. So it will be updated. In, in, in some extent in real time. So, I mean, you will be able, you know, like I said, not, it, it will be updated in real time, but as, as you know, with, with like, um, you know, looking at an equalizer or a mixing board, right. You know, seeing that the levels change continuously at the different, um, the highs, the mids, the lows, you know, I mean, they all go up peaks and troughs. Um, because the reason, because see, I want to look into lap, and thinking of learning it, and I want to become more and more independent vocationally. So, Soran, again, if I could just step in here. Um, mm-hmm. What is being described here is imagine a monitor that you could plug into a laptop right. that, would, that would allow you to have tactile access to what's represented visually on a normal monitor. And these things you'll be able to actually feel like in the case of the mixing board that uh, was being described. Imagine being able to put your hands on it and literally move the lever up and down or turn uh, the knob. But instead of it being virtually on a screen, you would literally feel like you're turning a knob because all these things that are normally seen graphically. And even if you have a normal touch screen where you put your finger on it and rotate yes, it. It's okay. I wanted to ask you, does it say that if um, let's say, okay, in addition to beat matching, like let's say I want to master it, to say that if I did it correctly or incorrectly. So again, and and I don't want to get too into the weeds here, Saran, because you're you're asking about some real specialized kind of things that I think are a little out of the scope of this presentation. But so so just to kind of bring it back around to what we're talking about here, uh, it sounds like. This is going to be a way to interact with, on a tactile level, things that are normally represented on a visual level. So the, 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 the sky's the limit in terms of what you might be able to do with these things in the future. But this is where they're starting from, is the, the ability to, to be able to physically feel something that, that is normally seen on a screen. So I can imagine, I can certainly envision a future where you might have all of these things that are being talked about and that you're interested in it. But because I think you have for, the employment but, that I want to do is how to create my own sounds and own mixes and how to remix it on my own. Right. I was just going, so, 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 so,
we're kind of getting into uh, things that are outside of the bounds of this presentation. So just to keep it on a general level, uh, this could potentially give you that access in the future. Right. So this is where they're starting from. But certainly I think from what they're talking about, and, and they can correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like this is these things may be possible in the future, but we're starting at, at this level first. And yeah, that, that's a whole idea ultimately is to make employment, make leisure, make anything available to, to a, a person with low vision or, or different disabilities that they normally wouldn't have access to because of the barrier that's presented by only having things represented visually. So let me send it over to the presenters and see what the, if they have any thoughts yeah, on I, the I way I've been interpreting this. Excellent way of putting it, Julian. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much for your question. You know, there are like things that come up like, what, what if you could do this? What if you could, you know, use it as a device as you're walking along? It could take pictures of what's in front of you. So it could be like a navigational device. So the possibilities are, are just, you know, like a snowball rolling downhill. And, uh, you know, one of the main focuses again is, is that outrageous unemployment rate like you why can't it be that when you walk into an office building that you um have accessible desks that you know are side by side with you know the regular desks um so i I think brian you were talking about once how you you said you you you've worked in buildings for twenty years, and how many yeah. blind people have you? Seen? Yeah, I mean, I I probably only had in the thirty years that I've navigated corporate white collar spaces, maybe one colleague who may have been low vision, uh, and the reason is not obviously because of ability, but it's accessibility. Do they have products? Do they have tools that allow them to work and do the same things either in a call center, be a salesperson? access to laptops, technology, et cetera, and to the question of what you're talking about, boundless technology. So, Julian, you gave a perfect example of what we call present state compared to future state. So from the essence of what he's trying to talk about doing for beat making, I have a knowledge of that because I have a friend of mine who actually is a uh, a novice producer and actually has purchased all those beats and software packs that allow you to produce music. The one thing that you can't do, unfortunately, is if you don't have a device that makes it accessible for you as a blind or low vision individual to be able to create. So this is what we're hoping future state. The technology will be there from a synthesis or software program that will allow you to plug into those beat packs and produce and mix and spin and do everything that you want to do from your level of creativity. So that's future state technology. All right, I love it. The virtual, the virtual wheels of steel. So thank you, Soren, for that, and uh, look forward to that in the future. Okay, Th- was there somebody else who had a, a question or comment? Yes, this is Yes. Yes, I do too. Oh, hold on, Mary hold on, hold on. Okay, Mary Lou, you you had a turn, so let me uh, give somebody else. So Keith Kabbalah was the next person I heard. Go ahead, Keith. Yes. Uh, first of all, thank you, gentlemen, for for presenting. I'm also from New York. Well, I was born there. But anyway, uh, I am also visually impaired and auti- I am mild autism. So I like the idea of your products. Uh, I am, I'm a writer and a pub and also, uh, I work as an ad- advocate for disabled. Uh, one of the things that, uh, I 
So you said your product has navigation also. Will it have navigation? That's what we're hoping is. Because I worked as a rehab professional. Okay. No, no, you know, my theory is if you blind people who are employed are expected to be able to get around the work off the workplace independently. So with your product and with navigation, that can help a person who is newly blind who is getting a job. Uh so the other way I say is you want if you want to keep a job, you gotta be able to get around in the job independently. Uh, that's my theory. Uh now as far as stuff for kid stuff for kids uh uh who are learning braille uh and also for the autism which you touched on touched on briefly uh you talked about possibly having it in museums uh mm-hmm. I also like the idea of maybe some zoos too because a lot of kids go to zoos uh like the Bronx Zoo for example I, I remember when I was a kid I went there weird zoos in Bronx Zoo uh I'm writing that down. <laughs> uh, and, and I think that speaks to something I think, I'm not sure if you mentioned it uh, before, Daniel, it was about Section 508, uh, about technology that becomes available uh, that actually has to be adopted for a community. Uh, Daniel, did you speak about that previously? No, I haven't. And that's, that's really important and, and interesting. You know, if we have... Uh, you know, there's a part of Section 508 of the American with Disabilities Act that says that any technology that is like this advanced would be required to be put into kiosks and airports and so forth and so on. So if you were to go to an airport to navigate through an airport independently, now it would be very difficult. And they've made uh, kiosks and touch screens for practically everything now. So you walk in, you get your directions from a kiosk. You check in with a kiosk. You go get your tickets printed out at a kiosk. Then you go to the passport center at a country or coming back in the United States, and everybody is escorted to kiosks where you have to work the kiosk. And if you want an ice cream from Siobhan, <laughs> you have to go to a kiosk to Appreciate get that ice cream and, <laughs> you know, pick what, pick what kind of flavors and stuff that you want on the, on the thing. So th- these things could be made accessible with this type of technology. Right. And in a post pandemic world, we're going to contactless this, contactless that. I mean, that's what I do for work, right? Uh, that's my full time job, just automation technology. And, um, you know, we're seeing trends, you know, in, in, in terms of the food and beverage, in, beverage industry. Um, we see it in Asia. It's already there where, you know, in airports and places like convention centers and whatnot here, we still have, um, counters you can go up to and order things and in parts of asia it's all done from a vending machine um because they're dealing with pandemics all the time they're dealing with you know they they masks are normal there and and we're turning into that society here in the united states a a contactless type setup i mean like daniel was saying you go to the airport now it's all self-check-in even if you're a sighted person good luck finding someone to 
check your bags in for you. I, you know, you, you, it's it, it's it's quite the task. You're you're you just expected now. Everyone's expected to be able to just go up to a little kiosk and and print out their boarding passes and check in their baggage. Um, and, and as a visually impaired and blind person, you can't do that. You still have to, you know, two things. You either have to ask for assistance or you have to, if you're at a bank, you know, you, you get to that touch screen and you plug your headphones in and I don't know, half of the time it works or it doesn't work, or you're still swiping with the key presses trying to figure out, you know, is it three or six or nine you're touching? Because again, with the touch screen, we still don't know what we're touching and, you're still hoping at that point with the, with the voice, uh, you know, with the, with, with the voice settings, you're still hoping that you're doing it right. And, you know, if you ask someone for help, you're losing your independence. I don't know about you, but if the voice, uh, if the voice feature is not working on the ATM, I would feel kind of weird about asking a stranger, Hey, can you help me punch in my pin? I don't know about you, but it's just not something I'm comfortable with, with, you know, with, if, if this is a technology that's going to be considered something that's mandatory or something that's this advanced going up to an ATM and, and, and literally punching in your own digits now without having to worry about listening to the, the, the voice. That's never going to be an issue. Again, you go up to the, the, um, the airport, you're going to be able to get your own boarding pass. You're going to be able to order your own uh, ice cream for my machine. The days of asking for help or relying on, you know, half broken headphones. It's, 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 it's a thing of the past. We're hoping. Yeah, that'll be great. That'll be absolutely great. All right, let's see. I think uh, what's Tom? Uh, did you have yeah. a question? Yeah, I do actually. When you talk about Braille and Braille displays and things like that, you know, Braille displays have been around for you know many years now, and they've also, I mean, they've all relied on electromechanical uh, means of of showing the characters, piezoelectric crystals, uh, pins. Uh, things of that nature. And um, one of the things that I've always heard, and I'm sure, you know, many people have heard is the, the cost of the Braille displays has to do with the use of the electromechanical uh, technologies. I mean, for example, uh, on a, on a, a 30 or 40 uh, character display, you know, you're, you're talking about a hundred bucks for a Braille cell. Okay. Uh, and so there have been efforts in recent years to produce, uh, less expensive Braille, dis- uh, uh, Braille displays like the Orbit and things of that nature. But the, again, the Braille is nice and crisp on those things, but the response time on those is, is really slow. Uh, and they're noisy. And, uh, so, I'm wondering if, uh, in the interest of keeping the cost down, whether there have been some thoughts about new ways of producing Braille uh, that would be much less costly and more efficient. And if you're talking about high-res graphics, you know, you're going to need a higher density in terms of the the dots per square inch uh, versus, you know, as opposed to what you would typically see on a, on a normal uh, Braille display. So I just wondered if, if you had, you know, some thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a excellent points. And, 
you know, that is why we need something like Boston Engineering. That is why we need five to six million dollars to really do this right. You know, nobody's ever spent this kind of money for something like this. Um, nobody's ever used like, uh, people with the technology and the robotics and the, they will have to create new types of system, new types of actuators to pull off something like this. Um, but to your point, I mean, there are technologies that are coming out. If you're just one braille, which is either, you know, an actuator that's either up or down, you know, those are the two choices. Like we're trying to get beyond that, you know, to go into multiple dimensions. I believe over the next couple of years, you're going to see some things that will come out that will be much more reasonable. One company to look at is uh, Dot, uh, the Dot Watch. I'm sure many of you have heard of this or, or may may have purchased one. Because the price of the dot watch is about two hundred and fifty dollars or something, or three hundred, and uh, you know, so they have they're perfecting a, uh, a less expensive way to do the braille cells uh, than the the way they've been doing it in the past. So, like the stuff that they're coming out with, I think is is going to be uh it's going to be pretty good to get you know even multiple lines of braille but uh so that's <clears throat> something to look for for our device you're right it's going to be quite the challenge when you're talking about 5400 pins which is like what we're trying to start with you know 60 by 90 grid of tightly placed together grid you know it's it's going to be quite uh an engineering feat but not one that can't be accomplished that's the one thing so i, I want to make sure that we keep the positive air about the feasibility aspect okay we wouldn't have partnered with boston engineering we wouldn't have actually phased out these products the way that daniel has had these discussions for a year and a half uh, prior to where we are right now to get this done. So these things can happen. It's, it, the technology is there. If you, if you did a little research on your own in Boston engineering and some of the advanced technology and engineered products that they've manufactured for their clients, uh, that are out there. I mean, we're talking about, uh, some of the microchips that are the size. What was the dimension that we had that we talked about? Um, but it gets into how the levels of the tactile pins can be at different points to what you were speaking about before. It's very granular. It's very detailed. It's high in engineering, but it is also present day. This is not something where we have to wait, you know, four years for development. We're talking 18 months for a POC. Yeah. And I would say the thing to remember is that, um, that, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that, uh, 30, 40 years ago would have seemed impossible. And now look at what we're walking around with in the palm of our hands. <laughs> uh, these devices that do all kinds of things, not just one thing. So uh, I, I'm very encouraged about that. So 
Let's see. I think I see that Steve Bauer raised. Yeah, Steve Bauer's hands are raised. So go ahead, Steve. Okay, how's that? Oh, there you go. Sorry about that. Uh, third time was a charm. Yep. Um, interesting presentation. Uh, thanks for coming to, to talk to us about it. Um, the question I have is, is, and I came in late, so maybe I missed this at the beginning, but you're talking about 5,400 pins. Um, I, I assume you don't have an actual prototype of this yet, but uh, my question is uh, the – Ability for a blind person to sense with their fingers, uh, that's a lot less resolution than what a sighted person can take in through the eyes. And I'm just wondering um, where you've come down on, you know, you say 5,400 pins. You know, how much is too much? I mean, uh, you know, we run into this all the time with folks trying to do raised line graphics that you can't show every single uh, color type thing on uh, a raised line graphic. It has to be scaled down or it just ends up as being undecipherable to the fingertips. And I'm wondering if you've, uh, thought any about that as to how, how that's all going to fit in with what you're, what you're proposing. It's another great question, you know, and, uh, when, when I say 5,400 pins, it's like we're hoping that's a starting mark and how tight we could get that together and how, you know, how much of a good resolution we, we can make with that. Um, but this whole time, one of the most important thing is going to be working side by side with blind and low vision people who can, you know, take the POC, take the, you know, first, uh, prototype and, you know, help us to understand what, what, it's like to feel 5,400 pins at different heights or how far away they would be. Well, I think one of the things that Andrew said at first too is like, um, even before we start messing around with all these pins and everything, you know, uh, and getting into the really, really expensive stuff of engineering it, um, we can make 3D printouts of things that we we would want to experiment with. So does that answer your question? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that either one of us have the answer, and I know, I don't know if you've talked to the uh, the Orbit Reader folks uh, you mentioned are coming up with, uh, I think they're doing the graffiti, which is going to be uh, not nearly as many pins. I forgot how many it is exactly, but... Uh, if you've, you know, piggybacked on any of their research, because I, I would imagine they have figured out, uh, you know, what works in this situation and what doesn't work in that situation. And frankly, it's going to be different from person to person. I mean, I've, I've experienced this with looking at raised line graphics where a person who has, who has had vision before can be a lot better at, uh, figuring that sort of thing out than a person like myself that's totally blind since birth. So, I mean, there's, it's not even going to be one size fits all. It's going to be a different for a lot of people so i'm glad to hear you're thinking in, in in those directions thank you and yeah of course I'm, I'm aware of what orbit and graffiti or aph they've been trying to do that for years and i i still think they're having some difficulty with it um and it's you know it's not going to be nearly as impressive as the touchpad pro uh, we're we're really going to shoot much higher than that um, you know, so the touchpad pro was all that was conceived with, uh, the idea that the graffiti 
is already there. So I'm saying, okay, the graffiti's there. They've they've done this much. They're able to do, like, I think they they were sixty by forty, like twenty four hundred tons. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and uh, they had like three different heights or something, or three or three to five different heights. You know, so how can we take that? And basically blow it out of the water, you know, and make it really uh, effective. I think the other thing is, is when you get into how tight you could make those pins to make actual braille, uh, be legible, um, is also very challenging if you can't get those pins close enough together. And I think Orbit has difficulty with that. So I think the, the braille that they come up with is pretty would be pretty jumbo size. You understand? Um, yeah, except that the graffiti will actually produce because you, you can send a braille text file to a graffiti and and it'll produce the the normal. Um, I forgot what the what the space between braille dots is, but the, but but the graffiti as it is will do normal eight dot braille at this point. Um, so that's not a problem. You're talking about getting things a lot closer, and yeah, I believe the graffiti is actually three heights and then you know not not up at all. So I guess four you could say, but uh, it's not not as much as you're talking about. Right, and uh, again, you know. We also, one thing that inspired the Touchpad Pro, this inspired it quite a bit, was the fact that most of my students have vision um, and they want to use some of it. You know, they have, they're on a spectrum of some vision and they want to get, they get close to what they're doing and they kneel down so they get their dirt, their noses in the clay or in the paint and then they're feeling it with their fingers. So I was really trying to get something that would be both tactile and visual. You know, of course, that isn't to say that, you know, we it will be useful and wonderful for those who are fully blind as well. But we really want to incorporate everybody into this. And when you look at Dot, because Dot's also the watchmaker, they're making a Dot pad. So the Dot pad will be a tactile display that's supposed to, you know, display braille and, uh, and graphics. It's basically black and white, you know? Go ahead. Okay, I have a question. What about Apple Watch? Okay, uh, first of all, Soren, um, I'm going to ask you to please observe the rules of the group and let okay, somebody no finish speaking and then say your name problem, no problem. and wait to be called on. And, you know, before I start recalling people, I would like to give people an opportunity. I apologize. No, it's okay. So, um, go ahead and, uh, uh the, uh, so I think we're, were we done with that, uh, question um, and response? I don't know. Is that good enough, uh, response for you? Well, no, I, I, I think, you know, basically we're all asking questions, including you guys, and as long as you yeah. ask those questions and, and seek out answers from real life users, then you're definitely on the right track. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Thank you. Very and much. this is why it's it's this is like such a great conversation to have That's right. That's right. Uh, because you know we we can't be sighted people and you know make these decisions obviously and be so assumptive in our nature. We have to have these conversations, and we need a level of pushback, and we need these hard questions 
to be able to take back and present to not just the engineers, but also to investors to understand the needs of the community. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I very, I so appreciate that because the, the worst thing that happens sometimes is that a company puts in something that they think, Oh, this will make it accessible for blind people. Meanwhile, they, they don't take any feedback at all from the community. They put in what they think would help them if they couldn't see versus uh, taking into consideration the way that we normally do things. You know, for example, sometimes you go to these web pages or these apps where they want to have you turn on their version of a screen reader. And more often than not, uh, it makes you have to use a different gesture set, a different command set. It just, it, it adds a layer of an obstacle and their intentions are well intended. But the point is they actually uh, are not uh, helping versus if they just took the time to, to learn about the community a little bit, learn about the solutions that are being used and learn that, for example, they can make their app or their web page conform to the standards that already exist, that are already being used by the existing screen readers and, and accessibility uh, functions that we have built into our devices. So I think it is so wonderful and commendable when a company seeks to make a product uh, to help our community that they actually take the time to engage with our community and find out how we're doing things and, and what are the things that we want, what are the things that we don't like, et cetera. So I think that's awesome that you guys are, are doing this. This is great. So let me see, because uh, I know we're getting uh, close to the end of the hour here and it's normally set up as a two-hour meeting. So is there anybody else who hasn't spoken yet that uh, would like to briefly uh, ask a question or make a comment? Yes, this is Soren again. Okay, Soren, yeah, you, you spoke already, so I just want to make sure that I'm giving other people a chance who have not yet had an opportunity to speak. Oh, no to. problem, no problem. Okay, so a, again, anybody else who has not yet spoken or asked a question or made a comment that would like the opportunity to speak to our uh, pre presenters? You know, perhaps I could put this forward as a question again is, uh, you know, when we speak to investors and we talk about that initial price of, you know, 15000 or coming down to 10000 what do you, uh, as, you know, end users, how do you feel about hearing those prices? Do you see things like that, you know, being sold, bought and sold, and then, you know, of course, our eventual dream is to have this come down quite a bit to the end user so the end user could afford it, you know. Well, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a very brutally honest reaction to it. <laughs> That's welcome. Please do. Um, naturally, I'm going to tell you that the price is way too high. Uh, <laughs> it would be like me telling you, uh, Give me $10,000 for me to make a windshield that you could see through so that you could then drive your car on the freeway. You know, it's, but I, but I understand the constraints. I understand what you're up against, but naturally, and this is why it goes back to the suggestion I made earlier that the whole idea, I think, is to make this product and target a much wider community than the one you're initially intending to help because the more appealing you make this to a greater group of people, the less you have to charge per unit. I mean, that, that's just the reality. Uh, you know, I think you mentioned uh, 
the TVs originally when, when the first plasma screens and things like that came out and they were like, you know, $40,000. Obviously not everybody could afford to buy that. Uh, the only way that they became affordable is when over time the price came down to something that was in within reason and within budgetary uh, reach of the average person. So, uh, this group here, we are primarily a group of end users. Uh, uh, you know, some of us are working, some of us are not, but I think even those of us that are, uh, like was mentioned earlier, we don't have $10,000 just sitting around at home thinking, uh, what's, it's burning a hole in my pocket. What do I want to spend it on? Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea always has to be to try to make this product within affordable affordable range of the average person and as quickly as possible. So the more that you can broaden the base that you're marketing to, the less you have to charge per unit. And I think you'll get it into the hands of the people who need it the most as quickly as possible. As a tech trainer, Julian, and I guess I'm opening this up to anyone else who does tech training or is in the, in the field, what would we need say this product was out on the market and say there were grants available or the price came down or price wasn't an object, right? From a technological and a usability standpoint, what would you need to see integrated in it or what we've discussed today that are um, must-haves or things that we didn't discuss that are must-haves that we would need to get you to recommend this to one of your clients or students or, you know, whatever it may be? Well, um, real quickly, and I'll open it up to other because I know we have other tech trainers here among us. Uh, again, affordability, uh, be, very big factor. Two, uh, functionality, uh, something that's going to make this useful to us in a way that uh, interfaces with something that we're already using or can replace something that we are already using and can, if anything, enhance the experience and that not just necessarily means in terms of, uh, you know, how many lines of Braille we can get on the screen, but also, you know, how, how long can it go on a battery between charges? How easily does it interface with uh, normal off-the-shelf devices or devices that we're using? That sort of thing. You know, the, the more uh, affordable and practical that you make it, I think, uh, and the, and the e- something that's, that's, as intuitive as possible. It doesn't require, you know, hours and hours of training. Uh, mm-hmm. Also is a big plus because uh, it means that uh, it's much easier for a rehab to buy it for somebody if that's the case and not to have to also think about, oh, and then I got to buy this person 40 or, or, or 20 or 40 hours of training to, to, to really make them proficient in it. So that would be my, uh, my thoughts. Uh, I'm wondering if any of the other tech trainers here I would like to speak. If so, say your name. Steve Bauer. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I think uh, I I don't have an easy answer for your question, unfortunately. I think really uh, as a tech trainer, my first, uh, you know, when I encounter somebody is what do you want to accomplish? And so, you know, um, what will your device allow them to accomplish? The answer is going to be different for everybody. Um, 
for example, the, the, the graffiti is a f- fabulous device. Um, I've seen it, and I understand what it will do. Uh, for my particular lifestyle, I won't be buying one because, you know, it's not, you know, it's not going to improve my life by $15,000 or whatever. Um, I just bought a $2,000 Braille display um, because I rely on Braille a lot for everything. That's not going to be practical or you know even if somebody had two thousand dollars if they don't use it for specific you know i've got very specific use cases for i guess what i'm coming down to so i think before you answer that question you're going to have to you know get the device uh figure out things it will do um go through you know um small groups of folks that say it does this well it does that well it does not do this very well i do i use this great feature once in a while i use it every day those are the kind of questions you're going to have to answer um before you can really say you know what's the price point that somebody can and then i think the price point will be determined by what you can produce it for because in making devices in small quantities you're never going to get the price down as low as you want it i mean rehab and and others are agencies are always going to be buying more of these than individuals unfortunately but if you can come up with a compelling use cases you can do this 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 and this uh with my device then that's going to convince rehab counselors to uh to buy it for their clients and then you know more end use Users that can. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that it's it's oh, kind of. Thank you. Now, now, when you've had experience with the orbit, because you're you're one of the first people I've I've spoken to that actually, you know, has really ex, you know experienced uh, the orbit in person and everything. But can you tell me like what did what did you experience and how how did it uh, what you were able to to make of it and its usefulness um, as a totally blind person, I would require uh, a lot more training than somebody who has seen all their life um, because, you know, uh, things like, you know, when they showed a map on it, that made sense to me. Or when they showed, you know, uh, geometry and graphs and stuff, that made a little sense to me. Not a lot because I'm not a big math whiz. Uh, but when they showed pictures of things, uh, I was lost totally. So, you know, I would need uh, training. Uh, it, it does what it does very well. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I would love if I had, you know, that kind of money for on a whim. It'd be really cool to be able to read maps on it and to uh, look at graphs and stuff. Um, so it does. What and for somebody who that's a bigger part of their life than it is for mine, then yeah, it might be worth it. Um, for me, uh, you know, money is an object, so I have to prioritize uh, what I can buy and what I can't. So it's not for me personally, but I, I thought it was very impressive, and I could see a lot of use cases for it. Yeah, and right now they're selling it for fifteen thousand. So I'm wondering how many sales they're getting out of this thing. I don't know. I mean, my understanding is it's being sold a lot more to schools and and uh, agencies and stuff that can you know allow multiple students to use it than it is getting into individual. But I have met I've met blind folks that you know want to buy one, so it's not outside the realm of possibility. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, and if I may, I know we're closing and, and uh, we're about to really hit the top of the hour here, uh, Julian. So I wanted to just do a shameless plug so that people are aware of us in a social media standpoint. Uh, we do have a Facebook page, which is Touchpad Pro Assistive Technology for Blindness and Low Vision. So please, you know, like the page when you have an opportunity. We're also on LinkedIn, Touchpad Pro Assistive Technology, LLC. Daniel and I are both on LinkedIn. And one of the things we could also ask you, um, 
one of the things that we talk to investors about and even having conversations like this is awareness. So really start putting the name of the company out there, talk about the products, socialize them at your leisure. Obviously, there's no pressure, but it would be very appreciative for you to just kind of get the name out there and the buzz about these products, because the more people that know about them, the more the people that come and tap on our shoulder and say, hey, uh, we've heard about you guys and these wonderful new products. And TVIs are just really just talking about this stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's hear a little bit more. The faster that we can get that level of awareness and that socialization in the community, that helps get these products out faster to you. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'm glad you did that because, yeah, I was just about to say that we should start wrapping things up now. I don't mind uh, staying around after the two hours if you guys don't mind and if other people have other questions. But I guess I kind of wanted to end the formal meeting around this time and, and end the recording so that uh, that way we can get that out in a neat little package here. But I don't mind staying around afterward if you guys don't. So I'm, I'm good with that. So uh, what about if people want to get a hold of you guys? Do, do, do any of you want to give out contact information so that people can get feedback to you? Maybe particularly people who were not here today but are hearing this recording? Of course, of course. You know, one of, I think one of the easiest ways is to go to touchpadpro.org and just hit the, the, you know, on the bottom of the homepage is always that thing where you could send a note or contact us or you hit contact us. So it's touchpadpro.org and they'll take you right to our website. Um, we're, we tried to make our website uh, accessible. You know, if there's any accessibility problems, please tell us about it because I want to take care of that too. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, you could contact us through there or on Facebook or LinkedIn, as, uh, as Brian said. And if, you know, you do get to go on clubhouse i think this will be a very interesting discussion it goes right into what we're trying to talk about on clubhouse on tuesdays at three what is the name of your group on clubhouse assistive technology is the group and the room is uh you know assistive technology for the blind and low vision okay so somebody would type that into the search and search under clubs and find you guys Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. And does anybody want to give a phone number or anything like that for people who prefer to talk to somebody on the phone? Sure. That's 973-699-3327. Awesome. Any of the other uh, presenters, yes. anybody want to give out sure. info? My cell phone number, this is Brian Edwards once again. Cell phone number is 201-341-8685. And this is Siobhan, and I'm at 516-712-2527. And do, you take, uh-huh. do you take ice cream orders on that number, too? Uh, we do Uber Eats, yep. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> Sounds great. The delivery fee out to L.A. is going to run you, I imagine. Here. Oh, you don't have the uh, supersonic uh, robot yet that does that, the drone that will fly it out here? You know what, Andrew at Boston Engineering just sent me out uh, the diagram for it. Awesome. All right. I'm looking forward to that delivery. All right. So um, this this will conclude. And he likes long walks on the beach, <laughs> quiet, quiet candlelight dinners. And- oh, okay. So we're turning this into eHarmony now. All right. <laughs> All right.
right. So uh, I'll go ahead and end uh, on that note. <laughs> the formal portion of this meeting uh, the, in the recording, this has been uh, Breaking Blindness Barriers Group. If anybody would like to find out more about our group or get involved with our group, we primarily offer this group to people who live in the Los Angeles area in Southern California as well as the people who live in the Cape Coral slash Fort Myers area in southwest Florida. So if, if you're in either of those areas and you want to get involved in our group or join and uh, be part of our meetings, uh, you can uh, go to my website, www.techjv.com. That's www.techj as in John, V as in Victor, .com, and you can find my contact info there and get a hold of me. Again, if anybody is wanting to donate and help us uh, offset some of the expenses of putting this on. There's a donate link there on the bottom, but it's optional only for those who can and want to. And uh want to thank uh, everybody who uh, participated, who took time out of the day to uh, give valuable feedback, and thank all of those who are listening to us afterwards at home uh, on their favorite uh, podcast uh, listener. So take care, everybody, and remember to keep on breaking those blindness barriers and look forward to talking to you all at the next meeting.